You are listening to the MJ Sportscast. Recapping the latest games, getting you up to date on the latest sports news, and providing our exciting Bay Area picks. This is the MJ Sportscast with your hosts, Mike Tang and Jerry Yang. And welcome to episode 16 of the MJ Sportscast. This is Mike Tang, joined by my co-host, Jerry Yang. Hey, how's it going, everyone? So episode 16 um, here, we kind of had a lot of things, uh, you know, go on. Um, this month, we have the NFL playoffs um, that have gone on through the second round um, here. So what are your thoughts um, for this week, Jerry? Yeah, uh, the NFL playoffs is definitely on my mind. It's uh, it was a great weekend. We had a lot of good games. I felt pretty uh, pretty strong teams that made it um, past this wild card round, and now we're in the championships. So a few dramatic moments. I thought the um, Patrick Mahomes concussion, like that, was a big wow. <laughs> um, but I think Casey lucked out that they were in the lead at that point, and Chad Henney was able to keep that lead and get them first downs during critical times and won that game. And I think one of the bigger things I saw this weekend was also Tom Brady and the fact that, Hey, he still got it, you know, and kind of sad that Drew Brees is retiring as well. Um, I thought he didn't look so good in that last game, but overall he's going to be known as one of the best quarterbacks in history. So definitely a future Hall of Famer and, and yeah, there's just a lot of drama back and forth. And now the Browns, I think, are eliminated now. So I felt pretty bad about that one because that was a team I was really rooting for. So now I think for me, I'm rooting for a Bills and Tampa Bay uh, Super Bowl just to see Tom Brady back in it. And, you know, and the Bills not being in the Super Bowl since 93, I believe. So it's been going to be a long time there. So, um, one thing I saw in the news that was really funny is that I think three out of the four quarterbacks in the playoffs right now were former Niner fans, right? And it's just kind of disappointing that we didn't get one of them. It would have been nice, right? But, but yeah, um, what's on your mind, Mike? Yeah, I think that you touched the point um, pretty well there. Uh, you kind of started off with the Mahomes concussion. And, um, you know, a lot of people touted Mahomes to be the greatest of all time already, right? This was probably in the beginning of this season after one Super Bowl win. But as I talked about with various people here, to be the best of all time, you have to win a lot of games during the regular season. You have to win multiple Super Bowls. And you also have to last in this league. So, you know, this concussion by Mahomes, it's kind of like his first um, barrier here in terms of how is he going to overcome that? And is he able to overcome that and win a second Super Bowl in a row here? So I think it's very premature to kind of Holmes as being one of the greats just mm-hmm. yet here. And you talked about Breeze and also Philip Rivers retiring um, this season. And it goes to show that, you know, longevity does matter. Um, here, there's so many great quarterbacks um, left in the playoffs, and it also goes to show that you need a great quarterback to make it far, 
you can't just have a middling quarterback and depend on your defense here. It may work in the early 2000s with maybe Baltimore Ravens, with the New York Giants. But if you're going to make it far, you need good quarterbacks. Tampa Bay has Brady. The Packers have Aaron Rodgers. Um, KC has Mahomes. And Bills have Josh Allen. And all those guys are probably, what, top five? Top five or top six quarterbacks in the league um, here. So, you know, we're going to discuss, you know, some of the um, current quarterback situation um, with various teams here. I'm sure we're going to talk about Deshaun Watson possibly going to other teams. But um, that's kind of like my on my mind about the quarterback yeah. situation. And, and I agree with you, right? Because And that kind of brings me back to uh, our discussion about Jimmy G, right? Yeah. The durability issues you talked about, I feel like that's the biggest thing going against him. I think he has all the skill levels, um, all skill sets to be able to get it done, right? Like he, when he's out there on the field, you can tell he has an X factor to him, that he's definitely in command. He has experience, like all the... Um, uh, coaching from Belichick and coaching from Kyle Shanahan, I think obviously really rubbed off on him. But the problem is he's not on the field. He's missed most of, you know, two out of the three seasons he's been playing with the Niners. And that's that's not a good look, right? And having that durability uh, is just, like you said, it's just so critical. And that, that really makes me question, like, how, how, how much we should really value Jimmy G., Right. Um, from a skill set perspective versus the durability perspective, I think if you give put those all into consideration, I think he's a bit overpaid, in my opinion, right? Overvalued in our team. So, yeah, I know we talked about it with Beast Rider last week about how he, it's probably time to move on from him. And the more I think about it, the more I'm tending to agree at this point. Yeah, it's so tough because with the NFL, it's such a make or break league, right? Yeah. Um, if Jimmy G was healthy all three seasons and he threw like 30 touchdowns um, per year and 10 interceptions and le- led us to that one Super Bowl with five minutes left against Kansas City, then we would probably be thinking Jimmy G is a savior and that he's one yep. of the top five. Oh, top right. <laughs> but mm-hmm. conversely, he didn't. Um, the 49ers lost in the Super Bowl. He's been out the last two, two out of three seasons. Um, here and now we're talking about Deshaun Watson, which kind of leads us to the point where Deshaun Watson has been kind of in trade rumors, and it mm-hmm. sounds like he wants out of the Houston Texans. What What do you think? What do you think um, the Niners should give up to try to get him? Yeah, I think for Deshaun Watson, I think is a tough thing because based on what I read and what I heard on TV, is that. He wanted to be have some input on the GM um, being hired. Mm-hmm. He didn't get that feedback. They just hired a GM. And then now he wanted some feedback on coaching. And I think Robert Sala was the guy that he wanted them to interview. And out of all the teams that had openings for head coaches, the Texans were the only ones that didn't interview Robert Sala. And now I'm hearing Eric Belenemy, um is a guy that Deshaun Watson wants. So I think if they don't hire Eric Belenemy as the next head coach, I think the chances of Deshaun Watson being traded will be significantly higher. Right? And at this yeah. point, I think only like six or seven teams really don't need a Deshaun Watson. I think everyone else, so that's like 26 other teams, need a Deshaun Watson on their team. You know, So it's 
it's interesting. Um, and as far as what I think the Niners should give up, I I agree with Beast Rider. It's going to take two first round picks and an all pro player. And for me, I would put Fred Warner in there. Two first round picks plus Fred Warner, um, I think we'll get it done, right? And it's going to hurt. It's going to suck. We like Fred Warner a lot. Um, but I feel like linebackers are a lot easily are a lot easier to replace than edge rushers, so we wouldn't give up Bosa or quarterback, and that's where we get Deshaun Watson, and then we would have to you know either let go or try to trade Jimmy G as well, and I think we can recoup some picks with Jimmy G, maybe not first rounders, but maybe a few second rounders. Um, that would be good, right? I think. Yeah. New England will be definitely interested in him. Like I said, 2016s probably need an upgrade at quarterback, so we can definitely shop Jimmy G around and get some picks back if we have to. And then linebackers, like I said, we have you know some of the best linebackers already on our team with Drake Greenlaw and uh, Al Shire. Um, those guys are pretty good, and we draft one in the later rounds, maybe with the third round pick we got from Sala. Um, so maybe we can hit on that as well and be able to coach up those linebackers. So, so yeah, that's what I would think would need to get done. I think the problem is obviously the interest from Deshaun Watson wanting to come here as well as the relationship between um, Nick Casario, I think is a new GM, right? Between him right. and John Lynch. So if they have a good relationship, I think this trade might happen. But we just don't know if they do. Right? And he, Nick Casero might have better relationships with other teams. And right now he's being linked towards like the Jets and the Panthers. And I think the Panthers was supposed to be kind of a stretch, but he, I think Nick Casario had a good relationship with that GM. And so without that relationship, I don't think this trade gets done. And there's just so many factors that builds up to it, right? So I think the last the, these next few weeks uh, leading up to the trade um, trade uh, deadline to open up, we have to see what moves that the Texans make first, and then from there we can kind of assess. But but yeah, that's what I would be willing to give up. I think. Um, Maybe even Jimmy Ward, right? I, I know I hate to do that because we're already suffering on quarterback, but I think we can also draft a pretty good quarterback, right? If we have to in the later rounds, so it's 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 a tough thing, but I think in, it has to hurt a little bit for us to get someone like Deshaun Watson back. So, so what would you give him? Yeah, it's gonna, I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, I think the Fred Warner trade is very <clears throat> intriguing, but at the same time, there. Um, to include Fred Warner in the deal, we would also have to re-sign him mm-hmm. here. So it'll be ha- it'll have to be a sign-in trade. So we're gonna ha- we're gonna need Fred Warner to agree to that yeah. and also agree to being shipped off to a losing franchise at the moment um, here, which is pretty tough to swallow. If I was Fred Warner, so Fred Warner would have to agree to that deal. Well, he has so one more year, right? People- I think he has one more year on his deal. He has nine hundred. He's due nine hundred k in twenty twenty one. So it's he still has one okay. more year left. Yeah. So I think that's why. That's why a lot of people are speculating that um, Nick Bosa would be included in that deal um, there. And if I was the Texans, I would do the same. You want you mm-hmm. want my best player? I'm going to choose your best player. And your best player with the Niners is is Nick Bosa yeah. or George Kittle, mm-hmm. which but George Kittle is not available. So um, you mentioned some other teams that wanted Deshaun Watson, but I think the number one team that has the best chance is the Miami Dolphins. Yeah just because they have the high draft pick, they have Tua, 
as a QB to to compensate for that quarterback switch um, here. So I think the Dolphins have the best chance here, and probably the Niners are maybe in the middle pack um, mm-hmm. of the list there, maybe like third or fourth. But at the same time, who knows? Deshaun Watson might not even get traded. He may want that coach from Kansas City um, here, but it's going to take some time. And I think uh, the the trade with the the trade deadline or the the time to start trades is what like a couple months yeah. away. So we we have tons of time. So a lot could happen. Mm-hmm. And Kansas City, they're probably going to go, you know, a couple more weeks into the playoffs. So their offensive coordinator, who Deshaun want Deshaun Watson wants, um, he's not available to officially come over as head coach yet. Yep. So we're going to have to, you know, await those that news as well. Yeah, so what I found was interesting is the Vegas odds where Deshaun Watson lands next season. So yeah. the top three teams are favored right now is the New York Jets at 2-1 to one odds, the Miami Dolphins at 3-1, to one, and Chicago Bears at 4-1. to one. Can you guess where the Niners are, Mike? Uh, what fourth or fifth in that list? No, they're way down. They're twenty to one, and they're wow. yeah. <laughs> so it kind of shows the odds there, right? They're they're about twelve or thirteenth um, um, favored there. So Vegas doesn't think that they're going to get them. So and I think the top three sounds about right. Um, Bears kind of surprised me though at four to one. I don't know if mm-hmm. it's just the draft capital, or whatever it is. And the Jets being in the AFC is also kind of surprising to me. So maybe that's the same with the Dolphins as well, right? So maybe that's why the Bears got a little bit bumped there. But, but yeah, I thought I just thought that was interesting that in Vegas doesn't think the Niners have a good shot at, at, at getting Watson. So yeah, and I don't know if it's just coincidence that all those teams are towards the East Coast. Yeah. There, maybe Vegas thinks that. Watson doesn't want to go to the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be also a factor too. Yeah. Um, you you talked about the Jets, um, Jerry, and they made some some moves in which they expectedly fired Adam Gase and um, Robert Sala actually um, accepted the Jets head coaching job uh, last week, and he took a couple of 49ers coaches um, with him. One of them is um, passing game coordinator um, Mike Lafleur um, here, and also their offensive line and running game. Um, coordinator to the offensive line coach, which is John Benton. Do you think this is the right place for Robert Sala? Do you think he's going to flourish with the Jets um, here? We all know the Jets situation is bad and they have so many holes to fill um, here. Do you think Sala could just turn this around or do you think this was a mistake? I don't think it was a mistake per se. I was a little bit surprised when he did go there. I, In my opinion, I thought it was probably one of the worst head coaching jobs. <laughs> but after thinking about it a little bit more, um, he does have the number two pick, right? So he has a chance to... Um, has a chance to select his quarterback if he wants to, or maybe even keep Sam Darnold and get like a stronger defensive player with that pick as well. So at least he has a second round pick. I think Michael LaFleur wasn't a surprise. I, I think that's brothers to um, the other LaFleur brother on the Green Bay Packers, the head coach of Green Bay Packers. Um, but LaFleur, I think, wanted to be like the Niners, but 
Kyle Shanahan kind of kept that job, right? And he was kind of the second command with um, with uh, Kyle. So I kind of knew Mike LaFleur was probably going to go. Um, John Benton, I don't know too much about, but from what I heard, that wasn't a surprise either because he had he had a pretty good relationship with Sala and. I think Sala, in order for Sala to succeed, I think he needed some help on the offensive side um, that we're familiar with, that he's familiar with, right? And I think those two guys were definitely the right people to go. And then um, I know the Niners promoted Mike McDaniels as OC, and I think they had to do that. If they didn't promote Mike McDaniels, I feel like McDaniels was leaving as well. Um, and I think that's where Kyle Shanahan had to give up that title of offensive coordinator slash head coach and just kind of fo- focus on the head coach coach portion. I think he's still going to make the calls on play or make the plays, um, make the play calls during game day, but he's going to delegate a lot more, I think, to Mike McDaniels. And based on what I read, it seems like Mike LaFleur and Mike uh, McDaniel's and Kyle Shanahan's were the ones that come were coming up with a game plan on offense every single week, anyways. And so it kind of was natural that if Sala was on leave, he takes Mike McFlurry with him. Mike McDaniel's was going to fill in those shoes. So, um, so yeah. So I thought it was a good move that Robert Sala took those two guys with him, and it was nice. I guess great of the Niners to let him go as well. I know Mike Lafleur was considering interviewing with other teams last season, and Kyle Shanahan blocked that move. But I think because it was Robert Sala, and maybe he blocked it because he knew Sala was going to leave this year. Um, it it was kind of natural for Lafleur to leave as well. Um, I know we'll get into this now, but um, Demarco Ryan became the defensive co- uh, coordinator for the Niners. Um, Mike, what do you think about that one? About that move? Well, first, I think it's just um, it's just a very good sign of um, a solid organization when your top coaches are being recruited by other organizations um, as well um, here, and it's also very promising that coaches are able to climb up the ladder there and get promoted from within as opposed to constantly having different coaches and schemes coaching your players um, here. So um, salute to, um, you know, York and Shanahan um, mm-hmm. for having a system in place there. And, you know, they've been, they've been prepared for Salah to leave for quite some time. Um, they were probably prepared for him to leave last offseason, but he didn't. Um, so when this um, offseason came around, Shanahan had a plan to promote um, – all his coordinators, you know, up a slot um, here. And he mentioned DeMarco Ryan. He was the uh, linebackers coach um, there and make Fred Warner pretty good the past few seasons, making him an all pro um, Mm -hmm. type player. Uh, DeMarco Ryan, as Shanahan mentioned, is is going to be a superstar coordinator and possibly a superstar head coach from what I've heard. So I'm very excited um, to hear about that. And I'm sure he learned a lot from Robert Sala and his schemes. Um, so yeah, I think the the future is very promising for this staff. Yeah, and I think it shows to the culture as well that they were able to promote within and keep everyone happy and keep everyone staying with the Niners as well, right? I think that's hats off to the organization for for creating that reward system that if you do well within the team, you can move up within the ranks. So that so I think that's a that's a good sign of a healthy organization there. Yeah, let's um, kind of talk about the Las Vegas Raiders and some of the moves they made here. Um, not as splashy as other teams, but they were definitely in need of a defensive coordinator as they were one of the 
worst ranked defense um, in the league, gave up a whole bunch of points um, there and basically gave the season away just because they couldn't keep the opposition away from the end zone. What are your thoughts about the uh, the Gus Edwards? Gus Bradley, Oh, Gus Bradley. Yeah, I thought it was good, right? I mean, the guy was a former head coach with Jacksonville at one point, and he was a really solid defensive coordinator for the Chargers. So um, I think the Raiders being able to land him, is, it was a good move. I think just having that second voice for um, Gruden was a really good thing, right? I think... Uh, Gus Bradley having that head coaching experience can probably work pretty closely with Gruden on on the different uh, schemes and things like that and prep the players for the week. And I, I suspect he'll do a lot better than the former um, coordinator. Yeah, so we'll, I'm excited to see that. Right, I think um, I'm excited to see what kind of input he'll have in the draft as well. Um We'll see if they draft a lot more defensive players. I think they need a lot of help in the secondary. So I think that'll be a big focus there. But I think it's a good move overall. And this was a guy, I think it was rumored that he might be signed by the Cowboys or by the Niners. Um, so definitely a guy that he was well sought after as defensive coordinator. So it's, a, it's I think it's a positive for the, Niners, or for the Raiders at this point. So um, what are your thoughts yeah. on this, Mike? Yeah, I think you mentioned it um, pre- pretty fairly there. I think Gruden, he needed to hire someone that wasn't just, you know, a personal friend of his. And I think he's been very close friends with the former defensive coordinator. And it was just very painful for him to let him go. But he had to do it just because the Raiders were doing so bad defensively um, here. So at the end of the day, I think the Raiders, they need to shore, shore up their talent on the defensive end. And I think this is, this is a good start for them in terms of getting a new DC in place um, here. And, and hopefully he builds a system in which uh, the players can succeed. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Let's also talk about the Raiders and um, some of like the news or rumors that have come up um, here. And um in addition to, you know, needing some good defensive players, which I think they'll shore up in the draft, um, there's been rumors of some, you know, a good wide receiver class coming in. And uh, Juju Smith-Schuster is one of those names just because Schuster um, Smith-Schuster mentioned on one of his Twitch live streams that he would consider the Packers, which is a good place, obviously, um, the Raiders, Jaguars, and Jets um, there. Do you think this is a good spot? for the Raiders to pick up on a pretty good wide receiver, Jerry? I just don't know if they need them, right? I mean, yeah. they have Nelson Aguilar, they have Henry Ruggs, um, and obviously Darren Waller is like their best tight end. Um, I, I just don't know if Juju is someone that they really need to add. It just feels to me that, sure, it's great if they have him because obviously he's a good player, but you also have these other players that are really good. It kind of reminds me of Antonio Brown to Tampa, where there we have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin there, right? Like, yeah, it's a nice to have, but I don't know if it's gonna really change change the situation, offensive situation there in on the Raiders very much. Um, sure, it'll make them better, but it's gonna be very incrementally better at that point. And I like Juju, right? I think Juju is a 
a really good player, one of the top receivers in the league right now. Um, obviously, you know, with the Steelers kind of changing, you know, their schemes, and it doesn't seem like it's a good fit for him there potentially. But I'm just a little bit surprised that you know Raider fans are really rawy rawy for him to come over, right? Um, yeah. But I don't know. What do you think? It, uh, to me, it doesn't seem necessary, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's necessary if Nelson Aguilar leaves in mm. free agency here. So if he leaves, then I think that's why Raiders fans would want Juju, just because after Nelson Aguilar, we have Henry Ruggs, we have Hunter Renfro, mm -hmm. and Brian Edwards. You know, that's not, I don't think that's going to be enough to compete yeah. in the, uh, in the AFC West, in addition to, uh, to Waller, of course, um, here. So I think it's good that the Raiders are pursuing Juju, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Even if Nelson Aguilar does stay, I think they need all the fire power that they can get, um, here. So if they can get Juju, that'd be great. Um, it really depends on also the salary amount. I was about that to say, to. <laughs> yeah, what is he looking for? Cast space, right? I think that's where I was yeah. here a little bit, because I think he's going to command like more than forty million in his contract, right? So I think that's what he had last season. I'm looking at numbers now. Um, so he's going to command some big chunk of your salary, and I think they could use that money towards the defense a little bit more, but. You know, we'll see. <laughs> Just seems like that's the yeah. risk there, right? So, all right, let's talk about um, some major league baseball um, news in specific to the San Francisco Giants. So, let's start off talking about um, the last free agent that they signed here. So, the Giants signed left handed pitcher Alex Woods to a one year, three million deal plus three million dollars in incentives. Um, there do you do you think this is a good deal for the Giants um I know the rotation has been very right-handed heavy and the acquisition of a left-handed starting pitcher I think mixes very well with the rest of the stars but uh what do you think Jerry about the move I'm actually surprised the Dodgers let him go I mean he was kind of a postseason hero for them right <laughs> I think he did really yeah. well in the postseason so it, it was a little bit shocking that they not only did they not re-sign him they also let him go to a division rivalry rival right in the Giants so so yeah no I thought it was great right and three million dollars deal is a pretty safe contract I think um especially given you know like you said he's a lefty and he'll probably fit pretty well in our rotation so I yeah, I thought I thought it was a really good move, and with the three million incentives, will really uh, motivate him to actually do well once he's in the team as well. So it's um, for a veteran guy to kind of help round that, um, you know, the um, round the rotation out. I think that's pretty good. I, I like the move, and um, I, I'm curious to get your thoughts too, Mike. I mean, I, you probably know more about Alex Woods than anyone else, and how he fits with the team. So. So what are your thoughts on it? Do you, do you, did you like this move? Yeah, I think it was um, a low-risk um, acquisition. I don't think Alex Woods is going to save your rotation and give you like 15 wins for the mm -hmm. year um, here. I think he's just a very solid guy that you can kind of plug in there and he'll eat up some good innings. He's, he kind of reminds me of... 
um, Kirk Reader mm. back when the, when Reader pitched for the Giants. There, nothing spectacular. Fastball in the low nineties. Um, there, you know, has a has some good off speed pitches, but relies on having hitters hit the ball on the ground. If he could have, if he could keep the ball on the ground, Alex Woods will succeed. And um, he also adds like an awkward type of delivery. Um, you know, when when he does pitch to hitters too, which kind of um, you know gives a different different dynamic to the rotation um, there. So I think it was an if I was to grade the move, it was a B plus mm. to be honest with you. And with for three million a year plus three million in in incentives, you you could do you could do worse than that. Yeah, I think worst case they can do what the Dodgers did is move them into the bullpen. Right. Um, yeah. And I think that's probably why they let him go is because he he was on a one million for or sorry four million one year deal with the Dodgers and it seems like he was in and out of the lineup and throughout the playoffs he was even in the starting roster and uh, in the active roster rather until the NLCS and then he became kind of a hero in the World Series so so maybe it's this more recency bias I had originally when I thought about it but. But yeah, it, it's definitely a low risk move, and worst case, the bullpen needs help too, right? And he seems like he's proven himself in the bullpen at least, because um, I I think he stayed in the bullpen a little bit longer with the Dodgers and in the starting rotation. So I think there's there's some flexibility there um, that we can work with. So that's good. Yep, absolutely. And um, in uh, not so baseball news, but more in political news here. Um, Andrew Bagley from The Athletic wrote a pretty lengthy article um, this week about Giants principal owner uh, Charles Johnson um, here. So if you haven't heard Charles Johnson, um, he's one of the top donors to, um, you know, some controversial uh, politicians um, here. And um, a lot of season ticket holders and fans, uh, they're not very happy with um, what has transpired um, there. And they've responded, you know, with a lot of letters to the organization, mentioning possible boycotting, mentioning possible season ticket removal um, from the list um, here. Do you think all this stuff is very relevant to baseball news and to just watching talent on the field? Or do you think this is as relevant as it gets and we should really be attuned to what our favorite team's owners, you know, are doing off the field. Yeah. To me, I think it was, it's, it's kind of a tough one for me, right? Cause obviously, you know, we're a big fan of the team and we root for the players. We don't root for the owners, right? <laughs> like who cares about the owners, yeah. right? But at the same mm-hmm. time, I think, Charles Johnson being in San Francisco and being a very left-winged, you know, city and state. I think this is why it's such a controversy, right? Because he's donating to more right-wing and QAnon politicians are direct contradictory to the beliefs of a lot of the fan base. And I think with the, I guess, more animosity among the political left-wing and right-wing situation that we're in today in our society. I think it has amplified the situation. But from my perspective, I feel like every owner is 
probably more right wing, white, right leaning than we think, right? <laughs> they're more, mm-hmm. they're more about the business and more about um, protecting their assets and protecting their money, um, paying fewer taxes, and that's more aligned with a right wing agenda, right? <laughs> and I think you know whether they explicitly donate to a politician that's right wing like Charles Johnson did or if they secretly just voting in all the right wing politicians I don't think we should care really mainly because it's like it doesn't impact us you know I think it impacts us in the fact that we're giving money to a guy that's giving to right wing if you're on the left side maybe you care about that and that's and I totally understand that outcry and why people are boycotting it but as a fan, how big a fan you are you of the team if that's what you think about, you know, and not think about the sport and the product on the field. It you kinda have to balance that out a little bit. I think you have to assess on why why you're why you're watching baseball and why you're rooting for a team, you know? And that and to me it's definitely not for the owners. And I, and if you boycott the team, I think the people that I actually heard from it aren't the owners. I think it's the players right the players and the yeah. people once the stadium opens up the people that work the concessions and you know the staff that's working really hard to put the game on the field and the sales team and the marketing team that's trying to create a good product for you to buy I mean, those are people that really that you're really hurting and maybe a lot of those people are probably left lean, you know. <laughs> so I I wouldn't right. want one guy. I know it's a really important guy, obviously, because he's a majority owner of the the Giants. But I don't want him to ruin the experience for everyone else, right? And I think in some ways you're letting him win if you if you're letting that impact you, you know, because he's already made his millions. He really doesn't, or billions, rather, right? <laughs> he doesn't need your money, really. Um, but there's other people who do, you know, and part of that, or I don't think it's fair to the rest of those people in the organization. Yeah, you make some very excellent points, um, Jerry, and I, I agree with you on um, on most of them um, here. The thing is, with your favorite sports team's owners or high-level executives, you really don't know what the heck they're doing with their personal life or who they're donating to or who they're being affiliated with. Um, here it's just unfortunate that Johnson um, that information is out in the public and we have Andrew Bagley um, he kind of took advantage of that in a way and he decided to make a story out of it um, here and that could be a discussion for another day but a lot of fans they're they're upset that Bagley has used used politics to basically get views Mm -hmm. and get feedback on an article so that's kind of my thoughts on it here um my general theory is let's just stick to the talent on the field because yeah johnson may be a donor for maybe some politicians that you don't like but is that something that you can control as a fan Mm -hmm. it's not it's absolutely not and that should not impact um your love for the game and your love for the sport because in the end of the day, that's why we watch the game is because we, we love our team. And if you're going to let some sort of politics or some sort of owner decide how you're going to dictate your passion for the game, then maybe this, maybe 
following the sports not right for right. you. And, and I think even if you boycott the Giants, uh, that's not going to stop Charles Johnson from donating <laughs> to these politicians, you know? Yeah. So um, I think really you're just hurting yourself at the end of the day by r- ruining the experience for yourself on the team. So... So yeah, I, it's not a very fun subject to be honest with you to talk about. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I think I'm one of those people that are a little bit angry at uh, Andrew Baggerly for even taking advantage of this situation, right? And just to get clicks, um, I, I don't think it's something that we really need to talk about. You know? Yeah, I think it just got amplified yeah. because of that. Um, so yeah, anyways, it's not, it's not a fun topic for me to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, let's kind of talk about the NBA basketball um, there. So, you know, the, the Warriors, they played the Lakers um, this past Monday night on MLK Day. And surprisingly, they they had uh, 2.2 million viewers on their TNT telecast. Wow, amazing. Um, for this game <laughs> um, here. And TNT actually reported that they're up 20% um, of viewership from early last season. Um, here, do you what do you think is contributing to this tick in viewers lately? Here, because I remember last season, you know, there was some talks that you know viewership is down. Is it because the Warriors dynasty is over? Um, here, do you think um, you know the whole BLM stuff that happened um, during the pandemic? Do you think that impacted anything, or did you think? You know, we just have some, you know, much more better teams out there, such as the Lakers, um, the Clippers, the Nets. Um, here, what are your what are your quick thoughts? Yeah, on I that, think Jerry? I think it's all those things. I think not having baseball compete with um, NBA helps as well, and football being once a week. I know during the playoff season, I don't think they're seeing that uptick, but I don't think it's also. Um, conflicting with them as well at this point, right? So I think that's helping with with the viewership because Monday night football is done, Thursday night football is done. <laughs> so I think that's helping with the viewership. But yeah, absolutely. I think having the superstar teams, having Kevin Durant back with the Nets, having James Harden join them, I think that's also increasing viewership because everyone wants to see how Harden's doing with the Nets and um, having the Lakers be, you know, pretty good team, and also with the Warriors to see how they would do with James Wiseman and not having Clay out there, I think it's creating some intrigue for NBA. And I think it's just a r- really good time for NBA right now because um, all the other sports are kind of, you know, either in their pre in their off season, which is baseball, or um, you know, still coming up like hockey is, and with football winding down, right? And I, I think also having that bubble experience and having that delayed schedule um, is keeping it kind of fresh for NBA fans because the season just ended and there was like a very short time before it started back up again. So it, it stayed, I think, in everyone's like fandom in their mind about NBA's uh, becoming their forefront or their main sport during this time. So, so I think all those things are contributing mm-hmm. to it and... And yeah, I know we'll get into it, but yeah, that Lakers game was was pretty fun to watch. <laughs> so I think that also helps too. The games yeah. I think are getting a lot better, um, a lot more fun to watch. You know, and and what I just thought also, and this could also be a topic for another show um, here. You know, after LeBron retires, who's going to be the face mm-hmm. of the NBA? It's going to be very, very challenging to find the next mm-hmm. chosen one. 
um, here. You know, before LeBron was Kobe, before Kobe was Shaq and Michael Jordan, um, before that was Magic and Larry Bird. But who's going to be up next? You know, we thought Zion Williamson might be the next person um, here, but has he really made that much of an impact on the court, right. you know, to to intrigue fans um, here? So the NBA, you know, they they definitely um, have some stuff to think about, um, you know, for, for years to come. But let's kind of talk about the Warriors um, here. And, you know, they had a good comeback win against the Lakers. They were down most of that game um, here until – um, the second unit kind of brought them to life on um, some bit, pretty good spurts um, here. You know, that starting lineup, that's, you know, they have Wiseman on there. They have Obrey, Wiggins, Draymond Green, and Curry. Has, has, hasn't been looking mm-hmm. too good um, here. And, you know, Cur- you know uh, Steve Kerr, he's been very adamant about keeping that core to start the game just because he wants to kind of set that defensive um, mindset. But, you know, we have, we have to ask ourselves when, when is enough? When are, when is it, when is it enough that we're going to be down a lot of games just because this starting unit is not holding its own um, here. So there's a lot of questions on whether, you know, Kerr should have start Wiseman this early here. Maybe they should have started Wiseman against some of the, opposing teams bench players just so he can gain more confidence but at the same time you know you're not looking at this year to win the championship you're looking to develop wise men this year so then you guys can so then we can win the championship next year when clay thompson comes back so that's the long-term thinking and you know that second unit looks pretty solid um like you mentioned and i think um eric pascal's career might be rejuvenated or ignited just because of his ability to play a small ball um, yeah. center role with this team um, here. And he's, and he's responded very well, but I'm very, um, I'm very anxious to see how other teams will adapt against. Yeah. Him. So I think <clears throat> you make a lot of good points there. I think, um, I think, I would keep Wiseman in the starting lineup. I know it's probably an unpopular choice, and he's not looking good these days with always getting foul trouble, and he looks a little lost and confused out there. But I think one of the biggest reasons why the second unit is so good this year is the fact they started last year, right? They started majority of last year. And I think having that starting experience and getting those minutes is pretty valuable. Right. And I think they're going, to, they went through a lot of the growing pains. Like a guy like Damian Lee looks awesome this year. Right. And I think he didn't look so good in the beginning of last season and near the end of last season looked really good. Um, and same with Marquise Chris. I know he, you know, got injured this season, which is unfortunate, but he was also a guy that was looking pretty solid and, and getting developed. And yeah, and you mentioned Pasco. I think Pasco wouldn't be as good as he was if he didn't get that starting experience last year. So I think we need to keep Wiseman in there. And I think the person I'm actually most disappointed with in the starting lineup is Steph Curry. And maybe it's because they're, you know, triple teaming him or double teaming him, like the foreign box or whatever um, defense that they're putting me in. But a lot of his missed throws are, or missed uh, shots are on open looks, right? 
And so I just think he's lost his shooting percentage a little bit. And sometimes he's missing on the free throw line now, right? After that streak ended, I just felt like he missed a few free throws during critical times. And I know we're going to talk about uh, Kelly Oubre. That's another guy that I felt was kind of disappointing as well. A guy that they they brought in to, you know, essentially replace Clay Thompson or be a stopgap for Clay Thompson. And I think what Steve Kerr did last game was that he made um, Oubre kind of run that second unit instead instead of um, Wiggins, instead of Andrew Wiggins there. And I thought that was a really good move. And I think that actually helped him a little bit to get those minutes out there and be able to, to uh, build some confidence on his shot. But I think he still needs to step it up a little bit because there's still going to be a few times where he's pretty disappointing. And I think Andrew Wiggins is probably the most improved guy on the team right now, right? I think him and Draymond in the starting lineup are are probably our best two starting lineup, um, you know, players right now. And and I think one of the challenging things is like, what can Kerr do if we do sit some of these starting guys? Like, who would replace Wiseman? If you put Looney in there, I don't know if Looney would do much better than Wiseman. And you're not giving Wiseman that experience. And I think what's telling to me is how we're closing out games as well. So even though Wiseman's starting the games, he's not out there in the end of the fourth quarter trying to finish off a game, right? And I think that's where the critical minutes come in. And that that kind of shows a little bit of where I think Kerr is at with Wiseman. So, but yeah, I think overall, I agree with you. The first, the starting lineups, um, definitely disappointing. But I think it's valuable minutes for for the team to be starting still, just to gel and for Wiseman to get the experience. Yeah, I'm curious. You mentioned um, about Curry. Is there um, a part of his game that you see that hasn't um, been Curry-like this season, Jerry? Or is it just, um, do you think it's his scoring? Do you think it's his impact on the floor? Um, yeah. I think are just kind of curious there. I think not having, obviously not having KD and Clay there is a big difference, yeah. right? Um, just because there's not that second superstar threat out there that can make shots at any time, you know? And I think mm-hmm. if Clay was out there, I think Curry would definitely do a lot better. And I think a lot of it's actually mental, right? I think his game is fine. And I think he's missing shots because I think he's so frustrated with how many people are defending him and how his teammates aren't stepping up, right? Like a guy like Ubre, I think he was hoping Ubre can be like that Clay Thompson where people have to cover on every every shot or else or else they're uh, they're gonna pay for it with the three pointer and things like that. And yeah. he's not getting that. And I think it's noticeably frustrating him, I think. And I think having Draymond back actually helps his psyche a little bit. I think that's why we've been winning games is because at least there's one guy out there that he can really depend on to help him make plays with him, right, on the offensive side and also be that defensive general. So so I think that that kind of um, grounded him a little bit. But overall, I feel like the frustration is really getting the best of him. So did you see anything? Yeah, that's, I, I don't know if you saw anything. No. But... Yeah, I think he's taking on a role where he's definitely taking more shots on there and when you do take a lot more shots you're going to it's going to seem that you're missing too um just kind of looking at his um regular season stats so far um here so it looks like he's shooting 28.2 points um per game 
His career total throughout the Warriors was 23.6. Uh, Three-point percentage career-wise, 43%. This year, he's shooting 36%. So that's, that's um, a, a huge dip yeah. from his career averages um, here. But uh, everything else kind of looks pretty similar. Um, he's getting more rebounds per game, five five mm-hmm. rebounds per game as opposed to a four and a half um, uh, here. And he's also at his assist total six point two assist um, per, while his career six point six. So he is taking on more responsibilities, and defenses are definitely collapsing yeah. on him. So I think that's why we think mentally Curry's you know, shooting a lot worse. And the stats say that he is shooting, you know, a little worse than his career averages um, here. Um, but at the same time, I think Curry will figure yeah. it out um, here and he'll be able to flatline back to 40%. From the yeah, field. I agree. I think if anyone can get back, this will be Curry, right? Um, and you mentioned like the face of the franchise. I, I don't think Curry's out of the question for that, right? <laughs> I think between him and Durant and maybe, um, I don't know who else, but um, there's definitely, I think he's in the running actually to become that NBA franchise, you know, face of the franchise if LeBron were to retire tomorrow, right? Um, he'll be in the conversation yeah. at least. I think that, well, I think that KD and, um, and Curry, they're both around 32, mm-hmm. 33 or so. And they probably have, you know, maybe a good five years yeah. left, maybe, you know, I'm talking about no, who's that know. person who comes yeah. into the league and he's going to be the face of the league um, here. And we'll, you know, we'll sell tickets, Jersey sales for the next 20 plus yeah, years. No, I... we, and we don't really have that designated person yet. So that's just that's just going to be very interesting for yeah. the NBA. No, I, yeah, I get that. I was just thinking of if LeBron were to retire tomorrow, who is a new French face of the franchise? You know, if that were to happen, <laughs> I think Curry wouldn't be out of the question, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, I think the I think the NBA is in good hands right now. Within the next five six years, there's Anthony Davis, yeah. there's Kawhi Leonard, True. there's Kevin Durant, there's Curry. There's a lot of great players um, out there, but. I'm just very curious to see who that next yeah, person next is, you know, that next right? guy who's like mm-hmm. 19 to 20 year old coming out of high school, <clears throat> college, that's going to just come in with full force like LeBron did or like Kobe yep. did. Kobe Lamelo. So that's going to be very Kobe interesting. Kobe Lamelo Ball. Yep. <laughs> Could <Yeah>. be. <laughs> All right, let's talk about our NFL playoff picks for this All weekend. Right. Let's do it. So I'll, I'll start. Uh, Tampa yeah. Bay. You guys start us off. Okay. Go ahead. Tampa mm-hmm. Bay. Tampa Bay um, at Green Bay um, here. looks like the Packers are three-and-a-half-point favorite over under 50-and-a-half. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, my pick is with Tampa. Um, yeah, well, I'm, going, I'm going with yeah. the underdog here. I believe in Tom Brady. <laughs> I think um, I, I think the main reason I pick Tampa is because of the defense. Um, the defensive coordinator from Tampa has always schemed pretty well against the Packers, right? And I think, mm-hmm. um, and I think Tom Brady right now is playing at top of his game as well. So I think just having those in there, I obviously Rodgers is going to be a factor, right, with his offense. But but yeah, they could be had there. Uh, Todd Bowles, I think, is a defensive coordinator for um, for the Bucks, right? He's he's made a few good schemes with um, against Green Bay. I think during their first meeting, 
Um, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers didn't look that good, right? He looks actually pretty rattled in their first meeting. And I think there's some psychological advantage. It kind of reminds me a little bit of last year with um, the Packers and the Niners, where when we played them in the AFC, I felt like we had an advantage because we had Nick Bosa and that defense that can really go against the Packers. And I feel the same way right now with um, with Tampa. So, so yeah, so that's a long way of saying Tampa plus three and a half. Over under, I'm going with the under at 50.5, mainly because it is in Green Bay. It's going to be cold. Um, and also, like I mentioned, I think the defenses will step up there. So it'll be more of a defensive game, I feel like. What about you, Mike? Yeah, very good pick. Um, I'm a, I'm actually going to pick the Packers there. I just think Aaron Rodgers um, and that Packers team has a lot of momentum um, going into this game. Um, here it's going to be cold. Um, you know, I think it's going to be very fairly matched. It's probably going to be very close, but I think it's going to also go under um, mm-hmm. as well here. So that's my pick. I'm going with the Packers. I'm going with Rodgers. I'm going with home field advantage in this matchup. Okay, cool. And let me introduce the next pick. So it's uh, KC uh, minus three at KC over under against the Bills. And then over under is 53 and a half. What's your pick, sir? I'll let you start off this time. All right. So I'm going to pick the underdog here. I like the Buffalo Bills in this matchup. Just because I just really don't know how healthy Mahomes will be going into this game um, here. And I think the Bills have something to prove. They've been to the Super Bowl since 93, like you mentioned earlier in this show um, here. And, uh, you know, Josh Allen is up and coming. I think the Bills' defense is going to be good enough to hold the, the Chiefs down um, here. And I'm, I'm going to go with the under 53 and a half. What are your thoughts, Jerry? Yeah, I agree with you. I think Bills plus three, um, mainly because of Mahomes. <laughs> I don't know how Mahomes will perform. And even if he does pretty well, I feel like um, the Bills offense will keep up with him, right? I think with Stefan Diggs there and Josh Allen, they can keep up with Mahomes. And I was actually really surprised by how good the Bills pass rush was in the last game. And so I, I kind of see him getting to Mahomes a little bit as well, and um, so yeah, so I think I think Mahomes and and Josh Allen will have kind of a shootout. So for me, I'm actually taking the over here at 53 and a half. Um, oh, wow. I know, yeah, I just feel like the offenses are are a lot better than both their defenses, so that's gonna generate some scoring. Yeah, very exciting here. You know, we have some really good premier teams um, left in the Super Bowl. Very um, high power offenses, as you may say here. And I don't, I don't think we'll be disappointed whoever makes mm-hmm. it. But if it's like, the, if for example, if it's like Packers and Casey, that's like a network, you know, dream come true, right? <laughs> to have Rodgers against Mahomes yeah. um, there. Even if it's you know the uh, Tampa Bay. Um, Tampa Bay against the Bills, too. That's going to be a very good matchup and some good Mm -hmm. storylines. You know, can Josh Allen win his first Super Bowl? Can Tom Brady win his, I don't know, 20th freaking Super Bowl? (laughs) (laughs) First one without Belichick, right? I think that's the storyline. Yeah, Yeah, so I think that's going to be intriguing. (laughs) There's just going to be so many great storylines left. I'm just glad these four teams are left um, here, and it's going to be a fun weekend. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And Tom Brady, not without Belichick getting into the Super Bowl, it really, I think it would solidify him as one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest of all time quarterbacks, if he wins it, right? Um, yeah. I don't think, I don't, there's no other quarterback I think has gone to so many Super Bowls and won it with different teams, you know? So even Joe Montana, once he went to KC, you know, he, he didn't win a Super Bowl there, right? It'll be the equivalent of that. So imagine if Joe Montana did win a Super Bowl of KC, then, you know, there will be a different conversation. But, yeah, I think Tom Brady, solidify his GOAT status, he has to win the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, but there's also the other argument, Jerry, that Montana never lost a Super Bowl and he went 4-0 <laughs> with one team. But that's a discussion for another day. Well, Anyways. Tom Brady went there a lot more, right? A lot more times going, you're going to lose a lot more. <laughs> All right. Yeah, uh, another time. Another time. All right. I think that wraps up um, this week's episode, episode 16. This is the MJ Sportscast for Jerry Yang, Mike Tang. We'll see you next week. Take care. Thank you for listening to the MJ Sportscast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at the MJ Sportscast at Mike408 at Mind of Jerry 11. Tune in next week for another exciting episode.